Amen. Well, good morning. Can everybody hear me? Perfect. I'm going to ask that you remain standing as I read our passage for this morning. We'll be in John chapter 5, verses 16 through 30. This is the word of the Lord. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He is not coming to judgment, but is passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Grace Church again. Okay, that wasn't nearly enough. Okay, listen, I'm used to teaching the students, right? And I'm never able to get a word in edgewise. So I'm used to a little dissonant noise. So good morning, Grace Church. Much better, thank you. That says nothing about your children. Uh, You know that they're loud. I know that they're loud. We'll just move past it, all right? So I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to come up here and preach this morning. Tom is out this week on a little trip with, uh, on a little soccer trip out in Memphis. So he has given me the opportunity to preach this morning. It's been about a year and a half since I did so. I think the last time I preached, he gave me the wonderful task of preaching about Judah and Tamar. Um, Luckily, I don't have that this time. Uh, I get to talk about Jesus this time, um, which is is fun. I get to use his words um, and don't have to parse out Judah and Tamar. Um, so, Tom, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to preach. It's a, it's a privilege to get up here and preach in front of you guys uh, that I love so much. So let's get into the word this morning. We are coming directly after Tom's passage last week where he was talking about Jesus healing the paralytic on the Sabbath. Obviously, I don't know if you know this or not, big no-no. You don't do anything on the Sabbath uh, because the Pharisees say so. Um, but there's a deep, intimate connection between last week's passage at the beginning of chapter 5 and this week's passage The chapter kind of divides itself into two parts. One, we see the sovereign grace and power of the Lord Jesus who heals an impotent man on the Sabbath day, and that's followed quickly by the swift criticism and opposition of the Jews. So that's kind of the first half. The second half, we see the Lord Jesus vindicating himself. And the back half of this chapter, which we're going to focus on today, kind of sets forth the divine glories of God's incarnate Son. This passage that we're going to deal with today shows us Jesus asserting his own divine nature. He asserts his unity with God the Father, and he he makes plain the high dignity of the office he's been given. Um, Nowhere else in the scripture, really, um, does Jesus dwell so fully 
and at such length on these subjects as he does in this passage we have before us today. Um, Not only do we see him dwelling on the fullness of Trinitarian gospel, but nowhere else, I think, are we fully able to see how hopelessly weak the understanding of the human mind is. Christ intends for us to fully and completely understand his divine preeminence. Oh, did we lose me there? Christ intends for us to fully understand and completely understand his divine preeminence and his perfectly obedient relationship that he has with God the Father. I'm going to pray for us before we get into our text. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you again so much uh, for this opportunity to come to worship you, to make your praises known, to sing your name, um, and to proclaim it at your feet this morning. Father, as we come before your word, may we do so with a sense of reverence, with a sense of respect, but with a sense of hunger um, to see your face this morning. Father, as we dive into this text, Father, may we completely uh, see Jesus uh, maybe more fully more clearly than we did yesterday, and hopefully not as clearly as we do tomorrow. Father, as we approach this text, may we do so with humility uh, and with patience and just a sense of love and awe of your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So I want to look first at the first couple of verses. Again, I started in verse 16. Uh, I want to go right now just looking at verse the first three verses, which is 16 through 18. I'm going to read that again if you don't mind. I'm reading out of the ESV, uh, which should be the Bibles in front of you in your pew if you don't have one. Um, feel free to take it with you uh, if you don't have one at home. So verse 16 through 18 says this. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the Jews, as they want to do, if you'll allow me a derogatory term, they uh, are dorks a lot. They do this a lot. They find themselves in a position where they can learn something beneficial to their own sanctification and to their own spiritual walk, but they would choose to grandstand on their own personal comforts. Um, And uh, I I use that term uh, to describe us as well, because I think that's fair. We, we, We take a lot of opportunities and liberties with the opportunities that God gives us to learn something about himself uh, about his power, about his mercy, about his grace, and instead the, the Pharisees um, decided to make it about themselves in this moment. Um, so as they want to do, they found fault with Jesus because he did something as irredeemable as healing a man who had been stricken with paralysis for 38 years on a Sunday. Um, that was the irredeemable thing uh, that Jesus had done. Um, and so they charged Jesus with a verbatim breach of the fourth commandment. Um, again, I have this highlighted and in bold. Uh, the Pharisees are dorks, is what I have in my, in my outline. Um, what's interesting, though, <clears throat> is that Jesus doesn't naturally, I, I feel like approached with this kind of same thing. If somebody approached me and said, uh, you know, later this afternoon I might have to mow the lawn. I shouldn't have put that in recording because now I actually have to do it. Um, but, you know, later this afternoon I might have to mow the lawn. Hopefully it rains. Um, but somebody might come up to me, my neighbor might come up to me who finds himself to be a little more, zealous about what the scripture says, he might approach me and accost me about mowing the lawn on a Sunday. Um, <clears throat> and I would probably feel the need to defend myself. It's like, you don't know me. I got to mow my lawn. You know, I'm trying to win uh, the neighborhood's best lawn. Uh, we're not in the running. Uh, so I really shouldn't worry about that. But, you know, I'm trying to do things here. I don't need you accosting me about my lawn on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he doesn't feel the need to defend himself. He doesn't feel the need to explain, well, you know, what I was doing, and there's actually a loophole in scripture. 
He doesn't do all that. Um, he answers, as Jesus does, in a very frustrating way to the Pharisees, uh, which kind of leaves them speechless. He doesn't explain it away. He doesn't feel a need to defend himself. He pro proclaims very simply, my father is working until now, and I am working. Let me, let me say this a different way. <clears throat> it's as though he said, okay, though my father rested on the seventh day from his work of creation, he has literally never rested for a moment from his providential government of the world and from his merciful work of supplying the daily wants of all his creation. Were he to rest from such work, the whole frame of nature would stand still. So I don't break the fourth commandment when I heal the sick any more than my father breaks it when he causes the sun to rise and the wind to blow and the grass to grow on the Sabbath. It's like, listen, my father continues to work. It, it's literally his, the reason that you are able to breathe is because he continues to work. And if I'm checking right, today's Sunday, and he's making sure that you are able to sit here and breathe and accost me about this thing I did today. Um, he's saying that my father continues to work. He's always at work. He's, he is providing um, shelter. He's providing grace and mercy to the world all the time. He supplies the daily wants of all his creation. Were, were he to rest from such things, it would fall into ruin. And so he says, because, and we'll see in a later statement, because Jesus says that I and the Father are one, Jesus says, listen, he's working, I'm working, okay? We're the same person. We're three in one. We're the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because he works, I works. We'll get into that later. It's important to note Jesus here. I want, I want to make sure that we say <clears throat> this passage and Jesus saying here that I'm working on a Sabbath, get over it. Um, he didn't say it. That's the way I would say it. And I'm very clearly not Jesus. Thank goodness for y'all. Um, it's important to note here, Jesus does not, here or elsewhere, toss the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to the Sabbath. Okay? Christians, I think modern Christians, could really stand to understand this. Jesus healing a paralytic on the Sabbath in the face of pharisaical criticism does not give us, as modern Christians, the ability to cast aside the weekly privilege of gathering with his church and proclaiming his endless glories in congregational worship. That's not what's happening here. This is not a moment where we can look at this passage and say, well, Jesus did some stuff on a Sunday, so if I gotta miss church because I gotta mow my lawn, you know, Jesus did it, so like, I think we're all kosher, it's all good. That's not what this is doing. This is not giving us a loophole to get out of, our, of the privilege that it is to, to worship together. Um, Again, Jesus' healing on the Sabbath in the face of criticism does not give us as modern Christians the ability to cast aside the weekly privilege of gathering together with his church, with you guys, and proclaiming his endless glories. We should want to be here for that. We should want to be present for that. Just because you have the ability now, it is the 20, it's 2021, and we had COVID, <clears throat> just because you have the ability to sit on your couch in your jammies and watch Chris Tomlin at 945 and Matt Chandler at 1030, because you can do that. By the way, if you didn't know you could do that, you can. Uh, I'm happy to come show you. Um, you can absolutely do that. Just because you can do that, though, does not make it a substitute for coming and watching me bang on a guitar and see Tom sweat in a sweater vest for an hour and a half, okay? Just because you can do that, and just because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath does not give us the license to abandon the joy and the privilege of gathering with God's people in God's place on God's morning. Um, so I think we would stand to remember uh, that, that we are called to worship together and, and, and honor the Sabbath. It's, Tom puts in a lot of work to get up here and preach, and he sweats not just on Sundays, all during the week preparing God's word for you people, for us. I think it, it's a shame because a lot of times we, we don't come because, we'll, we will come to church and we don't make church coming to church a priority because we just have 
this, these busy lives. I think that Americans do one thing better than anybody else in the world, and it's busyness. Um, and, I, and I found out quickly, I think I found out quickly that there's this competition that happens uh, as far as busyness goes. And, and it's for some reason, for some strange reason, we have this competition in and, of, in, in and amongst ourselves to, to want to try to out-busy another person. You know, we, we find identity in being busy Americans, doing busy things, and, and having lots of obligations. Uh, there's a comedian named Brian Regan. Uh, you may have, some of you may have heard of him. I think he's hilarious. He's, he's a clean comedian, like he doesn't curse or anything like that. He's, my dad, is the only stand-up comedian I've ever seen, because the only one my dad would take me to, because he would listen to Brian Regan, and Brian Regan's hilarious. <clears throat> but he had this bit where he was talking about he got called to jury duty, okay? And he said he quickly found out, he was like, obviously I didn't want to do jury duty, because that's like a six-week commitment. But he said, I quickly learned that nobody else wanted to either, and people started saying, people started confessing to crimes at this jury duty meeting so that they didn't have to do jury duty. Um, it's like, yeah, or they would confess to crimes and they would say, yeah, I'm, I'm actually having a lobotomy next week, and so I'm not going to be able to make it. And, uh, and he was like, another person was like, yeah, I've actually got to rob three banks next Tuesday, so I'm not going to be available. And he's obviously being satirical. But so often we, we do this amongst each other. For whatever reason, we feel like it's in a feather in our cap to walk away from a conversation saying, I'm busier than that person, or I've got more obligations than that person. And, and it extends to our Sundays. We, we forsake the gathering of God's people, and we forsake the hearing of God's word um, out of a sense of some kind of, out of the same sense that the Pharisees that abiding by their laws and the things that they came up with would make them holy or would make them worthy we do the same thing in our own lives. <clears throat> and, and so we, we do things like, you know, I gotta mow the lawn, or I gotta, I gotta, I gotta baseball game I gotta be at, or, you know. Today, my soccer team, Nashville SC, they're playing at noon. I could have said, Tom, I'm not available. <laughs> You're gonna have to find somebody to do worship and to preach, bless you. Because there's a, there's a soccer game at noon, I gotta be there. You know, I could have easily done that. Uh, Tom would have been disappointed in me, but, you know, he would have done the whole, like, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed thing. But ultimately, he would have slept and forgot about it. Um, but we should enjoy being in God's place with his people. Jesus clearly understands the Sabbath. He's not like unaware of the laws and the Sabbath. He's not unaware of the importance of the Sabbath. He shows us clearly in his response that works of necessity and works of mercy are no breach of the fourth commandment. Now, when the Pharisees hear this, right, does it make sense to them? Anybody? Can anybody help me out? No, it doesn't make sense. It goes in one ear and out the other. Um, it's like when I yell at our dog because he likes to chew on pacifiers and we have lots of them laying around. I'm a sentimental man. Uh, we had his first pacifier, that, like the first one he used, and the dog chewed it up. And I nearly wrung my dog's neck because he chewed up the first pacifier. And I was very sentimental and I'm tore up and I've kept a, I've kept a broken pacifier basically. That's the kind of person I am. I'm not a hoarder, I promise. Um, but for the Pharisees, and, and it's like I yell at my dog and he just looks at me. I'm like, man, there's not a thought behind those eyes, is there? He's just purely just fluff and whatever he wants to do. Um, and most of the time, if I yell at him, he then just goes somewhere else where he can potentially get a better answer, which is his mother. Um, but it just goes in one floppy ear and out the other. And the same thing happens here with the Pharisees. They're not sitting here in this moment saying, you know what? I should probably rethink the fact that I just accosted uh, the Messiah on healing a man on the Sabbath. Instead, they say, we got him. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. I imagine them standing there with their quills and their sheepskin saying, sorry, could you repeat that? I want to make sure I get this in for court. It's, it's like as if in an imaginary world, 
O.J. Simpson didn't take his, actually took his arthritis medicine and slipped on that glove and it actually fit. That's exactly what happened, okay? It's as if the glove fit. They said, okay, so at this point, not only is he breaking the Sabbath, but he's literally just equated himself with God the Father. And you just don't do that. That's a no-no. So the Pharisees have Jesus in their minds here. They have Jesus pinned. They know exactly what to do. And that's why verse 18 says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And of course, Jesus at this point could say like, you know what, this is a waste of my time. Um, You're obviously not going to get this. I'm just going to move on. Um, But instead, Jesus does what he does, which is acts with mercy and a sense to call his children to himself. So he dives in further. And he makes a couple of claims. Verses 19 through 30. I'm going to read this again for us. So Jesus said to them, said to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So the opening sentence of Jesus' divine proclamation is a bit like anybody have, like anybody ever watched like the WWE as a, as a kid? Anybody wrestling fans? A little bit, a few. Like it's like as if so you know like the Undertaker has just taken somebody out, right? That's what he does. And then you're like watching him, and he's like laying and writhing on the mat, and then you see like the Undertaker start to go up on the ropes, and you're like, oh no, he's gonna make it worse. He's gonna jump off the top rope. And land on him. Jesus is the undertaker in this metaphor. Sorry, I'm a guy with metaphors. Jesus is the undertaker <laughs> in this situation. Jesus is about to come off the top rope on them. Even though they think they have him pinned, Jesus is like, you really don't get it. And I'm about to finish this conversation. He basically says, oh, so you have an issue with me healing a paralytic on a Sunday? How about this? I and God the Father are one. You have a problem with me healing people on Sunday? How about I make it worse for you? I and the Father are one. Stating that Jesus, referring to himself here as the Son, is one with the Father, is like a couple of Saturdays ago when I went to Chick-fil-A and they told me they were out of sweet tea. What does that mean, Jordan, you might ask? What I mean is it's an unforgivable assault on my freedoms as an American and as a child of God. That's what I mean. I imagine the Pharisees feverishly again scribbling down with their quills and sheepskin saying, sorry, can you please repeat this? Jesus' claim to equality with the Father demands that we see the Father and the Son's heart beating as one. It's a really beautiful thought, to be honest. The father loves the son. When he was baptized, he said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Believe in him. The father loves the son and shows the son all that he himself is doing. This colossal claim that Jesus sets before us is that he is equal with God the father. And you might be looking at me saying like, yes, I know, that's obvious. You know, we believe that Jesus is equal with God the Father, because they are one. But I think that we would do well, even if we've already embraced and accepted this as a truth in our life. We talked about truth today in Sunday school, in the students' class, you know, we talked about absolute truth. Even if we've accepted that Jesus and God the Father are one, we, we need, I think, to repeatedly affirm that to ourselves daily. We must daily appropriate the reality that Jesus is God. He's the King of kings, he's the Lord of lords. This must be a constant reality in our life. Otherwise, he just becomes a good teacher, or he just becomes a nice guy, or he becomes somebody that we look to when we need something fixed in our hearts or in our minds. Jesus 
is every bit God as the Father is. He is every bit the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit is. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, they are one. It should also be noted that the Son of, can do nothing of his own accord. Um, it's not because the Father holds some kind of domineering, dictatorial rule over the Son, but because God in three persons is perfect and holy. It's not that God has like the keys to the kingdom and is like, you know, you can only do what I tell you to do. But Jesus, as we'll talk about in just a little bit, is completely submissive to the will of God the Father. So the first claim was that the Father and Christ are one in their actions. He dives a little bit deeper. The second, Christ has the power to give life and to judge. So he has the power to give life. Just as God the Father has the ability and the desire to bring back to life those that are spiritually dead, so does Jesus, the Son, have this power. So again, if the Pharisees gave pause at Jesus healing a paralytic on a Sunday, and they gave pause to Jesus equating himself with the Father, they're really having trouble choking down the claim that Jesus, uh, they're really having trouble choking down the claim that Jesus makes that the Son gives life to whoever he chooses. This is the point, however, this is the point that I, that I was, as I was studying and reading different commentaries, um, Jesus says that they're one in their actions and he can't do anything without the Father. We must note that this is not Christ trying to ascend to some plane of power or authority. Christ is not saying here, I'm all that, look at me, you know, I, I can do whatever I want because I'm perfect and, and, I'm, and I'm holy and I'm blameless. Those are all true things. But Christ is saying, I'm able to do the things that the Father does because I'm submissive to him. Because he's the Father, I'm the Son. But he gives me that authority because he and I are one in our actions. I submit to the Father and the Father raises me up. The Christ, is in the, Christ is not ascending to some plane of being or authority by saying, I make myself who I am. Uh, you know, like the Pharisees are doing with, you know, I'm going to abide by these rules, these rules that I make, and I'm, I'm going to do these things and that will make me holy. It's, it's not that. Christ is not saying that I have the power. He's not basically naming it and claiming it here. Jesus is saying just a, an absolute truth. Because the Father and I are one, because I am one with God's will, the Father has lifted me up to the point that I am able to give life. Um, I and the Father are one. Christ is not trying to ascend to some plane of being that simply because he can perform parlor tricks like turning water into wine or making a blind man see, he's now on the same playing field as God. That's not what Jesus is saying. Christ is not saying that he makes himself anything. It is the Father who makes Jesus equal. The son subordinates himself to the father, and the father in turn lifts the son up. The son makes himself subordinate, submissive to God. And this is all over scripture. Um, if you weren't aware of this kind of theological point, I, I'm hopefully not just making it up. Um, but it's all over scripture. John 6, 38. Jesus says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In Mark 14. This is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Right? But he could have stopped there. He could have said, please, uh, don't make me do this. But what does he finish with? He said, not yet what I will, but what you will. In Philippians, Paul writes, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus is not trying to aspire to some plane. He's not trying to grasp at holiness or, perfect, or perfection or anything. Christ is simply making himself obedient to the will of the Father. And that's the picture that we should take on as followers of Christ. And it's because of this subordination, it's because of this obedience, it's because of this submissiveness that the Lord God is pleased to lift the Son up, making Jesus equal with himself. The Father is pleased to do this. The Son has life-giving power, as it says in these verses. Let me read those again. Verse 21 says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son truly does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He's not coming to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Um, when he says truly, truly, uh, you know, I was, I was looking into this, and I was like, did he just say that because he didn't know what to say or um, because he didn't want to say, like, stop talking and listen? Um, but truly, truly is kind of translated as, like, there's no argument to be made about this. This is a true statement. Truly, truly, like, not only is it's not an objective truth, it's not just this is the way I feel about this. Jesus is saying, listen, here's the deal, okay? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, not just the ones I like or the ones that follow me around or the ones that agree with me, you know, face to face. It's truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So because the Son and the Father are in step with one another, and Christ has ultimately submitted himself to the will of God, he has the power and mercy and grace with which to grant life and life more abundantly. So here, what's so frustrating to me about, and I'm going to say the Pharisees because that's who we're looking at in Scripture, but us as well um, at times is that they have the ability to witness something amazing which is the healing of a paralyzed man. <clears throat> and instead of taking that opportunity, um, they want to nitpick about, about minutia. But nonetheless, they experience this power, and it's a, it's a crying shame that it didn't stick. They were, more, they were more concerned with grandstanding on their personal held beliefs and their comforts and their conveniences than witnessing the awe-inspiring and merciful power of God incarnate. Um, and we do that sometimes in our own ways. The very power that the Pharisees and everyone else in town just witnessed, the grace and mercy that righted a paralyzed man is this exact power. The power to raise the dead, the power to heal the sick, the power to make straight the limbs of the lame. This is the power that Jesus has been granted by the Lord God. You know, I, when I was, I'm a huge baseball fan, <clears throat> huge. Um, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan. We don't have any Yankees fans in this room, do we? Oh, thank God. Okay. Um, huge Red Sox fan. When I was a young boy, we went to a, a, a Braves game at Turner Field. And um, the Braves were, of course, it was in the late 90s, early 2000s, so it's where they had won the pennant for the, the NLEs the Braves had for years and years and years. They had Greg Maddox and John Smoltz and all these other guys. Um, and for whatever reason, I was a bit of a contrarian at whatever age. I don't remember the exact age, but uh, they were playing the Boston Red Sox. And I, I had played baseball growing up, but I hadn't. that was my first baseball game. And so I was like, naturally, I grew up in Nashville. A lot of, there's a lot of people that are transplants. Like we got people from Las Vegas and all these other kind of places. Um, but growing up in Nashville, you cheered, depending on where you kind of were in the state of Tennessee, you cheered for the St. Louis Cardinals or you cheered for the Atlanta Braves. 
And if you were in a weird subsect of like North, you cheered for the Cincinnati Reds. Um, but every, we went to the Braves game with, and I think my father, who's not, he wasn't like a Braves fan, but he wanted to take us to a baseball game. But he was intent that we cheer on the Braves because that's who you cheer for because we're from Nashville. And I was like, no, I'm cheering for the Red Sox for no other reason than to be a contrarian. Um, and I still remember, like it was yesterday, David Ortiz, uh, otherwise colloquially known as Big Poppy, um, who is one of my heroes, just as a human being and as a, uh, gosh, he's amazing. I miss him every day. Um, he hit a home run that I'm sure still hasn't landed. And that was in like 2001. It's somewhere in Jacksonville, Florida, and he hit it in Atlanta, okay? Um, and I, as a baseball fan, was just in awe at that. And over the course of many years, and I wound up actually serving in a church up in Boston and was able to go see David Ortiz play in some of his last games um, while I was up there working. And over the time, David Ortiz, if you don't know anything about David Ortiz, he just does that. He hits home runs to the moon. Um, and he did that for 20 years. And so over the course of time, I see David Ortiz hit so many home runs. And I see David Ortiz uh, walk off the field and, and win World Series and do all these things. After the course of time, and I'm sure you're wondering where I'm going with this, after the course of time, I lost the awe that I had in David Ortiz because it's just what he did. It's just what he did. David Ortiz was going to get up. He was going to hit a home run. Um, and the Pharisees have this opportunity to see Jesus as as love David Ortiz, he's got nothing on my Jesus, okay? Let me make sure I state that before I get off the stage. But they have this opportunity to see Jesus in his power and his, and his mercy, and they miss that opportunity. It's, it's just become normal to them because they're not focused on the healing. They're not focused on the grace and the mercy. They're focused on what they can get out of it. It's just another home run to them. It's this power and truth later in John, just three chapters. So Tom, if you're listening, I'm sorry if I step on a point you have here in a few weeks, but Jesus later says, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Amen. This is a powerful Savior. He's saying long before he's, long before he's put on the cross, he's saying there's going to be people that, and he's saying this, you know, to these Pharisees, those among, there are those among you who will put me on a cross and will nail me and spear me and beat me and spit on me and, and all of these things. And there are those of you that are going to kill me. And he's like, but I just want to let you know ahead of time, I let you do that. And I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you. I'm going to, I'm going to beat death. And there's not a thing you can do about it. This is the Savior that we worship. This is the Jesus. That, this is the power that Jesus has. He says, no one can take my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up again. This is why God was well pleased with Jesus. He laid himself down. He made his life low and came into the being of a man to, so that we might be saved. It's a powerful Savior. It also says the Son has the power to judge. The Father has also bestowed the right of final judgment on the Son because of his obedience. Due to Christ being one with the Father, he has all of his attributes, his power, his mercy, his grace, his patience, his holiness, his perfection. He has all of these things, but he also has the ability to judge. 
For those who do not embrace the life-giving waters that flow from Jesus' wounds, there stands a reckoning. It says he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. Do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And this is not some cruel, useless, meaning, meaningless judgment. Verse 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is not, the, his, his power to judge is not something that just, because he's perfect, because the Father's lifted him up and the Father's perfect, this judgment is not meant to be something that's cruel. It's not meant to be something that's baseless or, or random. It's, it's, it's perfect because Jesus is perfect. Just as Jesus is able to perfectly and powerfully give life, he, he executes the Father's judgment on those who do not heed his words. And I want to make a point, and a lot of times we... We, um, we get into angst about, um, you know, how difficult it is to, to, to come to God. And there's, also, there's always things that, that keep us, I mean, our sinful hearts keep us from coming to God for a long time. Um, but, but Jesus puts it very plainly. Again, he says, truly, truly. He's like, there's, there's no debate. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He is not coming to judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus has this authority to give this, power, this life and this grace and this mercy. And it's because of this that the Father has lifted him up. Christ was, is, and will always remain perfect because he remained perfectly within the will of God. Again, back in the garden, Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will. But you will. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, was always perfectly in tune with what the Father's will was for his life. He was, is, and will always remain perfect because he was remaining in the will of God. The Pharisees, unfortunately, though, of course, um, they didn't heed this. And they didn't heed any other declaration of Christ's perfect mercy. Um, they, they didn't listen. You know, I, I'm sure it's always so funny with, with a newborn, and he just turned four months old on, on Friday. He, he babbles a lot. And I'm sure for him, he's like reciting the Magna Carta, right? He's, he's very eloquent. He's giving me his dissertation on, you know, the five points of Calvinism in his mind. Uh, but to me, it sounds like gibberish. Um, and I'm sure, and Ashley always says, like, I just wish I knew what he was saying. And I'm sure, those of you with kids will know what I'm saying. I'm just looking at him like, man, you're so cute, but you are making no sense to me right now. Um, but I love you so much. Um, it, it's, it's, like, it's like just babble to the Pharisees. They, they, and a lot of times, because it, 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 we, we were talking today in Sunday school, I'll go back to our, our discussion with our students, and, and we're talking a lot of times that you interact with God's word and you interact with Jesus when you want a very specific thing, right? And some of the students, I was like, what are some examples of times you've gone to Jesus or gone in prayer for maybe things that like, you know, maybe when you think back on it? And you know, all of them are like, we always pray when we have bad tests coming up. I was like, well, it's probably fair to ask for peace and patience and understanding. But if you pray every time... Uh, you have a test and you always fail them, maybe study and then pray next time. 
you know? Uh, we always go to Jesus when we go to God in prayer when we need something. Um, and I explained, you know, if I went to my dad, and my mom's here, so mom, if I came to you, the only time we ever interacted from here on out is when I needed money, uh, my mom would not be pleased with that level of relationship, right? If I only came to her when I needed a babysitter from now on, which I'm going to do, so I'm sorry. If I only come to her now that we have a baby and say, hey, we need another date night, and she's like, but you went out on Tuesday and I kept him and blah, blah, blah. You know, if that's the only kind of relationship we had, um, my mom, my father, is, my dad is not going to be pleased with that relationship. If the only relationship we have with our God, the Father, is when we go to him when we need things, um, it's not the relationship um, that we we could potentially have. Jesus went to the Father in complete submission and complete obedience, and this is how we're supposed to model our lives. There's one last thing I want to say about this, because there's one thing that you absolutely cannot do, and that is uh, with, when faced with this information, when faced with this proclamation from Jesus, and that is nothing. There's one thing you cannot absolutely do, and that's nothing. You can't, this, this proclamation declare, demands a response. The proclamation that I and the Father are one. The proclamation that anybody who hears my voice and believes will have eternal life. The proclamation that I have the power to judge. The, power, the proclamation that Jesus is lifted up by the Father because he is perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. All of these things demanded response. And, and while the Pharisees were playing around in the mud of useless rhetoric, Christ was making heavenly declarations. He was saying, listen, I, I'm perfect. I'm perfectly obedient. It's not because, it's not because of me, but it's because I, I and the Father are one, and, and I am perfect, and I am blameless. And, and the Pharisees just didn't get it. Do I think that God, Jesus, I think there's probably moments in the scriptures where Jesus was like really annoyed with the Pharisees. Like, please just shut up already, please. It's, again, with this. Um, but I know Jesus is heartbroken because those are his children. And they would rather play around in the mud of rhetoric and trying to pin him in a corner than listen to the life-giving words of the Son of God. Um, and there's so many times that we do that ourselves. We, this, this proclamation declares a response. So, so what do we do with that information? What do we do with the fact that Jesus and the Father, Jesus the Son and God the Father are one, and that Jesus is perfectly obedient and the power, that he has the power to give life? Because we must respond. No response is a response. Because of this perfect obedience, he's preeminent. And I want to I go to, to wrap up. I want to read a passage from Colossians chapter 1. Paul says this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him, in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, and this is important, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, 
stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He's preeminent. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in this Christ, in this Son of Man. And he came forth and he was perfectly obedient, obedient even to death upon a cross. And that demands a response from us as his children. Um, he's perfect. He's perfectly obedient. And he's gracious. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to come and to study your word and to hear it uh, this morning. I pray that it continue to edify us as we seek to understand um, your truth and your purpose for our lives. Father, we ask that um, we would continue to try to model um, ourselves after your example. Uh, Father, for you, uh, we're perfect. You were perfectly obedient, even obedient unto death. Um, and Father, there's not, many op- there's not many times that we're going to be asked to die for what we believe in. Um, but Father, may we be obedient even to that. May we see that um, you are perfect in and of yourself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you desire nothing more than to save those who would only believe in you and hear your word, your life-giving words. Father, you are perfect, you are holy, and you are worthy of praise. We ask that you would just be with us as we come now to your table and bless this time of worship. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.